We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I, te- for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Excuse me for one second while I make a little bit of adjustment here. Good morning again. Again, it's a true blessing for us to be here this morning uh, to continue in worship uh, with the proclamation of the word of God. Please pray with me. Lord God, how blessed we are once again to be in your presence. We thank you that you have continued uh, to bless us with your presence in this time of worship. Our prayer now is that as we continue to worship through the word of God, that you would fill us with your spirit and your power that as we hear this word preached, that we might apply it by worshiping you more fervently, walking before you more diligently, and witnessing of the God who loves Oakland more actively. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is indeed a blessing to be in Oakland with you all. We don't get here often, and it's a blessing to be with the saints of resurrection church after Resurrection Sunday, although we celebrate the resurrection of Christ every Sunday. But there can be times when following especially a wonderful resurrection service, and if you're like the saints at New City Fellowship, it was actually our first time back in person at a resurrection service in a couple of years, as you know. There are times when one wonders, well, what do we do now? We sort of have this big celebration we affirm and confirm the permanent, glorious, victorious bodily resurrection in Christ. We, we have some good food and some good fellowship, but, but then what, what now? How do we begin to build upon the reality of the resurrection in ways that continue to affirm its meaning and validity to us and power to us on a week in and week out basis. And I believe Paul's words here to the Roman church, a letter he wrote to them, just as a way of explaining the gospel and why it propels us into mission and pulls us together in community, can begin to help us chart a course as to what we do with the knowledge, with the reality, with 
the certainty of the resurrection, which of course therefore pertains to the certainty of the return of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways to build upon that reality is to connect the resurrection of Jesus Christ to his passionate longing for the souls of Oakland. And it is a longing that most certainly includes not only the redemption from sin and the penalty of sin, but it also encompasses the overall flourishing of the city of Oakland. Paul's words, therefore, can begin, and we can view them as a jumping off point for us for two reasons. First, they beautifully express God's longing for his people. A longing that extends to Christ's desire and longing for the peoples of the world. We can therefore view Paul's longing, his yearning, his desire for his people as an example of our yearning and desire for the city in which he has placed us. God loves Oakland. God loves California. God loves Sacramento. I've got to repeat that to myself because I'm a part of the PCA. We're a Southern denomination. I'm a, Sharon and I, we're about to go on a trip for a denominational meeting. And one of the things that is almost certain to happen is someone's going to say, so how are things there in leftist, liberal, communist, socialist California? It almost always happens. And so I have to remind people, God loves Oakland. God loves Sacramento. God loves California. And so should you. Secondly, however, the first part of Romans 10 provides a wonderful look at an outline of the story of redemption and how we can connect the story of redemption to the story of Oakland and proclaim to the souls of Oakland the risen Christ. There are four aspects to this story that I'd like to walk through this morning. God longs for Oakland. God knows Oakland. God has provided for Oakland. And God is presently calling Oakland to himself. Now, as I just said, Paul wrote this letter to the Romans to clearly explain the gospel so that the church at Rome, which had not seen him yet because he was actually on his way and he had gotten deterred, they would have a clear understanding of the message he proclaimed and why it propelled him into mission and they should join in with him in that mission, but also how the gospel pulls the disparate and diverse peoples that the living God has called together in Christ to be one powerful, multi-ethnic, multicultural, unified family. As he continued to write this letter to them, he outlined to them in this particular section 
the assurance or the certainty of our salvation, reminding them that God's call is certain and sure, and he is going to rescue those that he himself has chosen for himself even before the foundation of the world. But he wants to remind us that God's call, that his plan of redemption, is not simply the dispassionate will of an almighty deity, but the yearning, loving heart cry of a living God who created humanity so that we might live with him and so that he might shower upon us the lavishness of his love, his grace, his glory and grandeur forever and ever and ever and ever, that he might be the satisfaction of our lives. So Paul had already made note of his desire for his own people. And he opened up, again, this chapter in Romans 10. He says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Paul longed for his people. And that reminds us that we can long for the people that God has placed in our lives, on our hearts, on our minds, that we too can long for the souls of the people of Oakland. Paul began this chapter as he did in chapter nine with an intense expression of longing for his people. And we all know what it's like to have an intense longing for something or for someone. My wife and I have been blessed to be married for over 37 years. And I still remember the longing I had for her when we were teenagers and how I would constantly talk to her about, especially to my best friends and, and wonder what was going on why when I called and her grandmother picked up and said, well, Sharon isn't here and just hung up the phone. <laughs> like, doesn't this old lady know I'm longing for her granddaughter? We all have felt the longing for something, for someone, that deep yearning to connect with something. And in our intense longings are one of the ways we can relate to God's longing to bring us into a worshiping relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. We might even ask ourselves right now this morning, for example, for what do we long for right now? What is it that occupies our thoughts and prayers? We can identify Paul's longing because we have all had longings and Paul's longing is simply a reflection of the longing that God has for his people. So just as we long for people, perhaps even things, circumstances, situations, God longs for us. That is, he has an intense desire to bring us to himself. And as I said, Paul's longing for his people reflected God's desire for his own people, a desire that God proclaimed over and over again for hundreds of years through his prophets that culminated in, of course, in the sending of his one and unique son, 
Jesus Christ. Hear our Lord's declaration regarding his longing for Jerusalem. 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 You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. The first point in our witness of Christ's full redemption for Oakland is simply this. God longs for Oakland. He longs to bring the people of Oakland into a flourishing relationship with himself in which he meets all of the deepest longings of their being and blesses the city of Oakland with his renewal. Of course, not only did Paul long for his people, he knew his people. He had grown up with them. He was a part of them. He was one of them. And so he says this next, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Paul knew his people well, in fact, very well. And see, so he knew of their faith in their own morality as their way to connect with the living God and enjoy his full acceptance. Paul knew their history. He knew their story. He knew their longings. Paul knew their trauma, their sense of loss, their insecurities. He knew their sin and their strivings for healing and wholeness. Paul also knew and was convinced that it was only within a worshiping relationship with the living God through faith in Christ only and Christ alone that was the key to answering all of their longings. God knows Oakland. He knows the people of Oakland. He knows the history of Oakland. He knows the significant aspects of Oakland and what they've contributed to the state, to this country, and to the world. He knows the present issues of Oakland. And he knows how the people of Oakland feel and believe that they will obtain healing, wholeness, and an overall sense of shalom. I would encourage you as you continue to grow, and I love this tour that you're going to do, to get to know Oakland. One of the ways we can best serve, I believe, the message of the gospel, the message of Christ for redemption to a people is to know something about them and make that connection. For example, our, our congregation, we actually worship in the city of Elk Grove, which is sort of a bedroom community of Sacramento. And a few years ago, back in 2017, our city of Elk Grove, we discovered the continuing prevalence of racism among us. And it is, I guess as the young people used to say, it, it rocked our world. We thought that we were this wonderful, diverse, accepting, growing suburb. And then some vile, ugly things happened to challenge that to its core. 
And yet, it provided a wonderful way for faith groups to participate in the healing of our city because the city even came and asked. They said, could you help us? This has literally come out of right field. We don't really know what to do. The question is, how can Resurrection Oakland connect the story of Oakland to God's story of redemption through Jesus Christ. Thirdly, God has provided for Oakland. Note how Paul continues to write, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. God's law is his standard of morality. It spelled out the way to worship him, to live before him, and live with others. Embedded in his law was the sacrificial system. And God had created the sacrificial system to provide a way for his people to atone for their sins and receive his forgiveness. Atonement is simply that biblical word which means to satisfy God's righteous justice for those who break his commands. Consequently, to keep God's law perfectly meant to order your entire life around his commands along with the regular sacrificial offerings for when you fell short and sinned against the living God. The sacrificial system not only provided the way for the ancient Hebrews to connect with the living God and enjoy his favor, it also served as a model for the way anyone would connect to him. Ultimately, however, animal sacrifices fell short. They simply aren't adequate to fully atone for our sin, which is why God provided for our full atonement through Jesus Christ. And the wondrous thing about Christ is that he lived a perfectly flawless moral life. He lived a perfectly sinless life in every area of his life, not just action, but what he said and what he thought and his motives. He achieved a perfect, permanent, right standing before the living God, undergoing temptation after temptation every day of his life. He was the man who actually could go back into God's presence and be accepted on his own merits. And yet, the plan for his life, as outlined in Scripture, was not only to live that perfect life, but then to go to the cross. And so at the cross, he absorbed the full weight of God's anger against the sin of the world. That is, everything that I have ever done that would cut me off from having a right relationship with the living God. Christ paid the cost of that sin. He then went to a grave and lay in a grave for three days as ancient Hebrews counted days, and then on the third day he rose again from the grave, physically, bodily, gloriously, victoriously, proving that the Father accepted his sinless life, proving that the Father accepted his sacrificial death, and proving that anyone and everyone who wants to be in a perfect, permanent, right relationship with the living God can do so through faith in Jesus Christ by simply counting as true that Jesus is who he claimed to be, 
and that the Father accepted him for the payment of our sins. And it's something that everyone in Oakland needs to hear, listen to, grapple with, and be called to. It doesn't matter how much has been done, how little has been done. It doesn't matter how ashamed we might be of our sin. It doesn't matter if we think the living God would never accept us. It doesn't even matter if we think that we're okay. The life of Christ, the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ says, no, no, you can be today free, forgiven, and have new life because God so loved Oakland, that he provided his son. Again, we're familiar with sacrifice. We're familiar with wanting something so much that we're willing to sacrifice something that's important for us. Parents, you are willing to sacrifice some good hard-earned money to send children to college. Because at this point, for the most point, college isn't free. And so you're willing to sacrifice. We understand what it's like to give up something that's important, to obtain something we want. Well, when it came to the souls of Oakland, they were so important to the living God. The renewal of Oakland, the blessing of Oakland, the shalom of Oakland was so important, was so vital to the living God that when the only way to secure it was by sending his one and unique son who had enjoyed face-to-face -face fellowship with him throughout all eternity, he was willing to give up his son and pour out his own anger on his son rather than pour it out on us. God longs for Oakland. God knows Oakland. God has provided for Oakland. And I'll close with this. God has called Oakland. And he is calling Oakland through the church in Oakland, of which resurrection is one branch of that fellowship. Listen again to these words from Romans 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for it is with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God has raised Resurrection Oakland up and planted her here to connect with people in a city that he longs for, that he knows, and he loves. And he has empowered you through the power of the Spirit and your love for the city, its people, so that you too might call them to this flourishing relationship in which they find their true significance, their true wholeness, their true meaning, their true mission, their true love. It brings us to the table of our Lord's Supper.
You see, at the table, what we do is we constantly remember, observe, and celebrate these sacred signs and seals of what Christ has done for us. We do so knowing that as we participate in this part and in this time of worship, it reminds us that there was a time that we responded to God's longing for us. That there was a time when the Lord sent someone to speak to us, that there was a time that he called us into his presence. And every time we participate in communion, every time we partake of our Lord's Supper, we remind ourselves, God longs for me. God knows me. And in Christ, God has provided for me. And he has called me. And as we go and hear the institution of the Lord's Supper, let's from now on remember as we participate in this sacred meal. God longs for Oakland. God knows Oakland. God has provided for Oakland. And through us, God is calling Oakland. Dearly loved ones in Christ, on the night when our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. He then took that third cup that was served in the Passover meal called the cup of redemption. And he very clearly said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink all of it. Pray with me, please. Our glorious Lord, We are overwhelmed at your love for us. That you, the all-powerful, almighty, all-sufficient one who dwells in unapproachable light, served by multiple billions of angels even now, who needs nothing or no one, longs for us. We thank you that you sent your one and unique son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. We thank you, Lord Jesus, who had existed in face-to-face -face fellowship with your father, but you were born of the Virgin Mary. You lived a perfectly sinless life, and then you suffered under Pontius Pilate. You were crucified. You died on the cross. You were buried. But on the third day, you rose again from the grave. Our prayer in the name of Jesus is that as we, your people, participate in this meal, we would remember, we would celebrate your love and sacrifice for us. 
and that it would impel and propel us to bring this message of full redemption to the souls of Oakland. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.